Welcome everybody to Watch Your Story. I'm your host, Emmanuel Mutui, and today I have a wonderful guest. And I'm not just saying this because I usually say it, I mean it this time. Because... <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm, for like the longest time, I couldn't find a person to interview. And I'm sitting myself, asking myself, who am I going to interview? Who am I going to interview? And she's just, I mean, I interact with her almost weekly. And she's just, we're talking, we always have a good time. And never once did I think about asking her to be my guest. And then one day, we're talking, because she just had a conference here. And I'm like, I should interview you for my show. And she's like, you should. <laughs> and then she's like, you know what Jesus said is true. A prophet is not recognized or accepted in his own home. <laughs> and I was like, that's very true. Because she's been here for months. And never once. I interviewed her husband. Her son helps me with these interviews. And I never one time thought to interview her. So, without further ado, and this has been a long, long time, welcome, Pam, to Watch Your Story. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> I'm glad we finally got this. It's, but it's going to be an amazing show because I know her, known her for a year, and like I said, I've interviewed her husband. I work closely with her son. It's going to be amazing. So just share, spread it. Spread this, not, not spread it. Spread this interview, not the virus. <laughs> <laughs> let the interview go viral, right? Yes, let the interview go viral because it's going to be amazing. So we're going to do like we always do. We're going to start from the beginning. And with you, so my audience know part of your story because I interviewed your husband. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to take so much time in the past. But right. I want them to know who Pamela Holloway is. So where are you from? I was actually born in Pasco, Washington. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I never even heard of Pasco, Washington. Pasco or Pasco? Pasco. Pasco, Washington. It's actually right across the river from Richland, Washington. It's okay. part of a, a three cities known as the Tri-Cities. Okay. Pasco, Kennewick, and Richland. My husband was actually born in Richland, Washington. Okay, I remember that one. Yeah. And so in Pasco, what kind of family were you born into? Now, that's an interesting question. My, my father was a uh, deputy prosecuting attorney mm-hmm. of Franklin County. And um, he spent, yeah. Got to fly here. <laughs> <laughs> he, just... <laughs> he, um, he actually um, had a very interesting career because it was during the time that, that the drug trade was really increasing um, from Mexico up through Canada, and it just so happened that that drug trade came right through Pasco, Washington. And so he and his partner flipped a coin to see who got the uh, murder cases and see who got the drug cases. And, you know, the person who lost the coin toss got the drug cases. Well, my dad lost the coin toss, so he got the drug cases. And what I didn't realize until after he died um, and in fact, it was a beautiful story. We were at his memorial um, that that they held for him after he, he passed away. Um, he set case precedent for drug law uh, for the entire state, and also was used for case law setting precedent across the country with the cases that he he managed and he did. In fact, there was once when I was a little kid, I was going to kindergarten. And, um, you know, you remember the story, Kindergarten Cop, right? <laughs> no, I'm from Kenya. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger plays Kindergarten Cop where he steps in okay. and, and he becomes the teacher in the classroom. And the whole okay. reason why he's there is he's there to protect this little kid in the classroom okay. from some bad guys. 
And, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger as a teacher. Huge <laughs> news. <laughs> <laughs> of kindergartners yes. makes quite this impressive picture. Well, I actually had a real kindergarten cop situation when I was a kindergartner, and I was the little kid they were trying to protect. There was a detective that literally sat in the back of my kindergarten classroom whose job it was to protect me because of the fact, and I didn't realize this at the time, I'm a kindergartner, right? Yeah. Um, our family was being threatened by some of the, the drug cartel, some of the drug runners. And did they you were, know? They, I did not know this. And they were out to, to take my, my dad out or take out you know, his family mm-hmm. to stop him and put pressure on him to keep him from prosecuting the, the drug cases that were coming before him. Because evidently there was a really big drug case. And so I just remember being a kindergartner and this guy sitting in the back of my classroom. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't know why he was there other than the fact that he was some detective who was in the back of the classroom. Well, years later, and, and this is just such a beautiful job, you know, story of how God just brings things full circle. Years later, after my dad died, and, and we're at this, this, you know, this memorial that, that they held to recognize you know, all the work that he did. This, I'm, I'm talking to this one guy. It, he's there, and he's, like, telling me how much. He goes, you probably don't remember me. Just, you know, I so appreciate your dad, and da, da, da. And I looked at him, and I said, you know, maybe you can help me out. I said, I am looking for the detective that sat in the back of my classroom when I was a kindergartner. I didn't know why he was there at the time. Dad told me years later, I just want to tell him thank you. He starts crying. It was him. <laughs> and I'm just, I mean, we two, we both just sat there and bawled. Wow. He's like, you remember that? I said, I remember you. Wow. I said, I do. I remember you. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So your dad being a DA and a successful... Prosecuting DA, attorney. Prosecuting slightly attorney, different. Prosecuting attorney and being a successful prosecuting attorney. Did that impact what you wanted to do? Yeah, I originally went to college with the idea of I was going to be pre-law poli-sci. What changed? Something called Outward Bound School. I went and spent, in fact, it was the first time I was in Colorado. Okay. Uh, The first time I ever spent time in Colorado, I was a student at Washington State University. Okay. And um, I had the opportunity to to come to Colorado on on a scholarship Mm -hmm. and do something called Outward Bound School, which is they they have a, a mountaineering course, a summer mountaineering course, where you go out and you're out in the Rocky Mountains, you're, you know, you're out in the, the Santa Cristo or the San Juan range, you know, the different ranges, and that's what you're doing for the summer. And so you have no contact with anyone besides those that are part of the Outward Bound School program, you know, no curling iron, no makeup, no, no, nothing of normal life. You're doing no impact camping, and that's what you're doing for the summer. Well, I was quite the outdoors girl. Um, I really enjoyed hiking, biking, running, you know, it was quite the, just, you name it, I did it. Technical rock climbing, um, just all of that stuff that was outdoors, I absolutely loved. And so when the opportunity came up to do that program, I I applied, got accepted, and Mm -hmm. and was able to to do the program. So I went out there, pre-law, poli-sci. Well, one of the first things they do is they ask for a volunteer, who's going to carry the medical kit? Right? Because someone's got to carry the medical kit. Yes. So I picked up the medical kit and said, sure, I'll volunteer this time. Well, typically you pass off the medical kit. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, I got the medical kit. And from that point on, I had the medical kit. <laughs> the medical kit never left my hands. 
And so we did the entire Colorado Outward School experience um, to include, you know, at the end, you know, near the end, they put you on a solo. So you have three days with no contact with another human being. You can either choose to do it fasting or not fasting. Okay. And, and each day, the way they know you're alive is they give you a sector. You have to stay in that sector, and you go tie your, your little bandana down on the tree, and that's how they know you're still alive. Hmm. Other than that, you have no contact with anyone. Hmm. It's just you. And, and I chose to do it fasting. So that means you're not eating, right? That's, you're not eating. If you choose not fasting, are they going to give you food to go with? You can take food up okay. there with you. But, you know, what they were doing is, is if you were doing it fat, if you were going to be fasting, you weren't allowed to take food with you. And I thought, well, that's too easy. I'm going to take food with me and fast. Because <laughs> that's where the discipline is, right? Uh, that's just you. That's just you. <laughs> so I took food with me mm-hmm. and then just chose to fast. Okay. In fact, I have this great memory of this this squirrel who was really upset about the fact that I was choosing to camp underneath his tree because he didn't even have a tent. Huh. All you have is a tarp. And this is in May. And you know what kind of snowstorms we get in May up in the mountains still? Yeah. 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 And so, you know, we're talking snowstorm breakup time frame, right? So you can post hole up to your hips and all that type of stuff. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> you know I'm not there. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. So, but literally there, I, one of my fondest memories is this this squirrel that was up in this tree that would just chew me out for the fact that I am under his tree. It it, it was just, you know, I would have huh. these conversations with this squirrel about, yeah, listen, you're just going to have to deal, okay? <laughs> he sort of hung his <laughs> and he throw nuts down on my head. <laughs> <laughs> just, let's just say nature's got a sense of humor. <laughs> we, it was hilarious. It it's was bad hilarious. if the squirrel talked back to you. That's when you. Oh, know the squirrel it. totally talked back to me. The okay. squirrel and I had had lengthy conversations. And this I mean, you're out there the for hunger. three days. This has nothing to do with the hunger. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be surprised what you talk to after three days. <laughs> no contact. Right. But it's you know it was the first lesson I really had in what it what it really is to be still. Mm. And to experience silence. Yeah. And solitude, mm-hmm. and the fact that there's actually a beauty in it. Oh wow! Yeah, it was it was my first introduction to that. It was really really good, really really good. I mean, it's one of the things huh. that kids don't understand anymore. Yeah. These days, there's there's never a down moment. There's mm-hmm. never a moment that they're not listening to music, watching something on a screen, or something else. Yeah. And and I think one of the biggest lessons I learned from that uh, that experience, as well mm-hmm. as you know, growing up being a kid who used to lay on top of the fence rail and, you know, watch the stars at night, right? You right. Know, just lay out there on top of the, you know, you lay uh-huh. on the top rail of a fence and just watch the stars. Uh-huh. When do kids do that these days? When do any of us do that these no. days? I'm glad you used the word silence because the past two days, the Lord has just been uh, not, what's the word, pushing me to just be silent before him. Exactly. And this is kind of veering off where we're going but has did that help your relationship with the lord when you did that or if you did how did it i didn't grow up in a a family that um, knew the lord the way we know the lord now okay via holy spirit Mm -hmm. i grew up in a family that talked about god okay 
knew there was a God. Okay. My dad was um, what you would call agnostic. My mom grew up Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was just a difference in the fact that it really was more religion than faith, if, if that makes any sense. And so, you know, we were the Easter Christmas Christians, right? Yeah. Yeah, we were the Easter Christmas Christians. And the difference is um, due to an event that happened when I was in elementary school. I got pulled out of elementary school and put into a private school. And it was a private Christian school. Okay. And uh, it was a Seventh-day Adventist school. So that was my, my introduction to, to really starting to spend time and study scripture. And, and that part actually was good because I had a phenomenal Bible teacher there and, and who really was at least, you know, getting me into the word. Um, then uh, my parents divorced when I was 11 years old. That was a little odd. Yeah. Uh, just from the aspect of, you know how every once in a while Christmas is a little overdone yeah (laughs) and you're like something here's amiss Uh right yeah well christmas was a little overdone you know when when there's like 20 packages under the tree and they're all for you (laughs) you're you're, kind of like what's going on here right Mm -hmm. there's something here that's a little off well there was a whole bunch of packages under the tree and then january 1st i woke up and uh, my mom was moving out of the house and left me with my dad Single child, obviously. Uh, at that point, yes. My sister was 11 years older, and so she was grown and out of the house. Okay. So it, it was all of a sudden I was left with that. And, you know, my dad, bless his heart, was just devastated. Mm-hmm. And um, my, my father, uh, being an attorney, especially back in that time frame, um, where the real work got done was... Uh, they would sit down and, and a lot of the time they would they would come together after doing their time in the courtroom after you know the way they would blow off steam is they would all get together and play pool and drink a lot hmm. and and that was pretty much everyone who was in the justice system the judges the attorneys the sheriffs the detectives yeah they would all meet play a game of pool and drink a lot. Unwind and drink. That's not a healthy place to raise That is a child. not conducive for mm-hmm. family life, right? No. And so what ended up happening is that drinking was a constant issue mm-hmm. that led to my parents' divorce. And so then my dad, of course, you know, typical of, of anyone, um, was drinking to try to mask the pain. Mask the pain once my mom left out of the house well as a kid this didn't set well with me obviously and uh i i was a little bit of a daring i'm not surprised at all and so uh my my dad at the time was the uh the one who kept the liquor for the the club that he was a part of so one day i got home from school (laughs) took every bottle of alcohol there was dumped the alcohol down the drain, took every bottle, threw it into the trash can, and drug the trash can out to the curb. Well, surprisingly, I'm not even surprised that you did that. Like, I don't know what's more surprising. 
<laughs> this is this is where you know that you truly have the love of the Father, uh-huh. both in, both in heaven as well as my earthly father. Because uh-huh. my dad came home and, and was like, uh, "Where? What? What happened to this? Where is it?" And I literally looked at him and said, "Yeah, I threw it all down the drain." And he he uh, he's like, uh, "Why did you do that?" I said, "Because you're not going to drink in front of me anymore. I'm not putting up with it." How old are you? Eleven. You drink in front of me, I'm walking out that door and I'm not coming back. Do I make myself clear? And I don't know where this came from. I have no idea where this came from. But to to his credit, mm-hmm. he never drank in front of me again. I don't know. He never drank in front of me again. If you're wondering who is Pamela Holloway, that story right there. <laughs> captures her to perfection <laughs> and, and <laughs> truly 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 it's heavenly father right mm-hmm. so six months later my mom shows me up shows up doesn't give me any notice whatsoever and mm-hmm. says we're moving out and i'm like what you know because at this point i'm thinking you know i'm going to break my poor dad's heart here yeah and and uh she did she moved me out of the house that summer and and that had to have been really really hard on him Hmm. Um, we moved to a place called West Richland, Washington. Um, I was born in Pasco and raised in Pasco. And so at that point, what happened was um, I started uh, I was started eighth grade there. And I was in the jazz choir. And I was playing piano for the jazz choir, uh-huh. which was, you know, zero hour, 7 a.m., yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, there wasn't a bus that would take me. And my mom said she wasn't going to take me to the school and the school was no no that wasn't an option school was 30 minutes away we lived out in the country Mm. which was which was a huge blessing because that way I was able to continue to work with horses because I grew up working with horses from Mm -hmm. the time I was a little kid still work with all the animals Mm -hmm. and uh what ended up happening is uh dad would get up at O Dark 30, would drive 40 minutes to pick me up, would take me to school, and then would go drive to his job. So he spent wow. about two hours in the morning driving just so he can come pick me up and take me to school. And, of course, being the... Uh, <clears throat> that is girl. No. No, I was angry. Oh. I was your your typical angry mm-hmm. child of divorced parents at that okay. point. I was anything but gracious and kind. Mm. For quite a while. He never once wavered. He just loved on me. And that I believe was really the start of me learning and beginning to perceive the love of the Father. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So I can assume you and your dad had had a good relationship before that. We did after that. Yeah. We did after that. Um, mm-hmm. it, it took some time. I had to grow up. Yes. You know what I'm saying? I yes. had to get over myself. Uh-huh. You know, I had Part to get through the, the, it's not about you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> 
um, but once <coughs> I got past that, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. Then it was. It really opened my eyes mm-hmm. to the sacrifices he made, to the love he had. Yeah. A lot better understanding of of the pressures he faced in his history, mm-hmm. and and who he was, which then allowed me to just be grateful. Yeah. And and to just love and and to not hold that issue that he dealt with with alcohol against mm-hmm. him. Yeah. And uh, that's purely blessing of the father because, yeah. you know, the Lord allowed me to do the same thing with my mother, you know, and, and then growing up and, and seeing what she experienced as a child through through the father's eyes, you know, through heavenly father's eyes. And at that point, I, I think that's the key where you really start to, you start to mature and you start to see them through the eyes of Christ. And you start to see them with his heart. And then, you know, you, you get over your own stupid stuff, right? Yeah. And, and you just love them. You just love them because <laughs> you're like, your, your heart just breaks for them and the things that they went through. Mm-hmm. And, and you just see the love of the Father weaving his way through every single step of the way. And I think that's a part of the real key to how we can heal. And how we can not hold, you know, how we can let go and not hold offense. So that was that was a major lesson. That's awesome. That was so a major lesson. We kind of, of course, we, the original question was, I guess we would begin to talk about how you got saved and how you got deep with the Lord, and went end up this beautiful path. But because <laughs> you, you asked a little bit of it when you went to the SDA school. Mm-hmm. That's when I started learning. <clears throat> And then mom pulled me out, yeah. um, and I started eighth grade at another school, and then um, struggled, um, struggled with having mentors, struggled with having people who, who would just um, were consistently walking with me and continuing to to just point out the work of the Father every single step of the way. That mm-hmm. wasn't there um, in a way that I could see it at the time. Looking back on it, hindsight being twenty twenty, yeah. I now realize, you know, all the way back to toddler time frame, the Lord was bringing people into my life every single step of the way um, that were truly just his angels. Truly just as angels. So I uh, started taking French classes in eighth grade and took French all the way through high school. And there was a teacher there by the name of Madame Ballman. And she never once said God to me. She never once mentioned Christ. But I know now, looking back at that woman, she was praying for me. She was praying for me. She was loving on me. She was seeing what I was going through with yeah. my family and just poured her heart. I mean, the, the value of of teachers and those that the Lord sends into our life. And I think a lot of times, you know, we're, we're in that position of being the teacher or being the other person. We, we don't understand the impact that we're having on that person's life. Uh, it was immense. It was mm. immense looking back uh, oh. because... One night in particular, um, I hit the breaking point, and um, 
I was going through those things that a lot of, of teenagers go through. Um, and I did attempt to take my life. This is because of the divorce and everything that came out of it? You know, was it the divorce? What, you know, it was, it was the angst of the separation and, and feeling that, that, you know, it, it goes back to, to what did we learn from Solomon, right? Mm-hmm. All life is pointless, right? Yeah. Um, I wasn't your typical teenager, I, I didn't uh, I didn't get into the the popular world, the social world. Instead, I was looking at what was going on in the world, mm-hmm. and the fact that you know people were starving. There's constantly this threat of cold war at this point, and yeah. you know we're going to bomb each other, and you know there's all this other stupid stuff going on, and 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 just not taking care of the environment, and mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> what's the point of living right Right. (laughs) all is vanity yeah exactly all is vanity and you know without the the lens of christ Mm -hmm. without the lens of the lord there that's that's like that's like heavy stuff right it is and unfortunately I'm, i'm seeing way too much of what's going on in the world i mean at that point in time my favorite activity was to I would I would do things like I was a rebel. I was a huge rebel. So I would not go home at night. Okay. And instead I would go out and hang out with these other people, but you know, we weren't doing drugs or anything like that. I'd stay up and play chess all night. Okay. <laughs> sure. So, so we'd listen to like, you know, Pink Floyd and Rush and play chess all night <laughs> and have these these esoteric conversations right. about, you know, what is the meaning of life uh-huh. and you know, this whole philosophy thing and you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so this is the type of stuff I'm doing uh-huh. as a rebellious teenager, sure, right? Sure. You know, and and it got overwhelming. So what happened is um at the time, because I, I still didn't have the relationship with my Heavenly Father, my relationship with my earthly father is, is still really struggling at that point. And um, doing the typical teenage thing of, of mom and daughter, you know, doing one of these numbers, not getting along real well. Right. And um, it, was, it was one of those things that, you know, especially as a girl, if you're not getting that support from your earthly father, and if you don't have that relationship with your heavenly father, you're going to look for that relationship somewhere else. True. Right? And so I was looking for that relationship other places. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was getting into dating relationships with guys who were um, looking for the acceptance, looking for the safety, looking for the protection, and um, not finding it there. And then, and then having, you know, those relationships break up. And just, you know, life is over, right? Mm-hmm. And, and just the combination of, of the lack of relationships in mm-hmm. my life around me, um, the fact that I had my entire life planned. I was going to go to law school. I was going to go to this Ivy League school. I was going to do this. I was going to do that. And then all of the finances... Mm-hmm for that were gone 
um, and and everything that I thought was sitting there for my college education was gone. And so I went from a situation where, you know, my, my family wasn't wealthy, but they were middle class. Yeah. And it went from that to moving in with my mom to, what do you mean there's not enough money for milk in the fridge? Wow. And... You know, even though I was going through that, was thinking, okay, there's still the money there for my college, so mm-hmm. I've just got to s- suck it up and get through this. Yeah. And then there's still the money there for my college. Well, it turned out that my parents, and really more my mom than my dad, um, wanted to fight and go through this really prolonged divorce, and so the divorce attorneys really enjoyed getting all the money. Yes. Right? Yes. And um, I found out that there was no financial hmm. left to pay for my education. Now, growing up during the time I grew up, we were all heavily into the mindset. I had been very much raised that you've got to get your college education mm-hmm. and you know, you've got to do this and do this and do this in order to, to be successful in life. Mm-hmm. Well, we all know that's a bunch of right baloney mm-hmm. now but didn't know that at the time so yeah. you know at that point your life is over because mm-hmm. that you you're nobody loves you the world's going to end anyways because don't you know we're going to blow each other up with russia or something <laughs> like that mm-hmm. and and then on on top of it all there's there's no finances to do anything with mm-hmm. and and so i i did make an attempt on my life and and wow. that was a rather interesting experience okay. because of the fact that um I literally, um, it wasn't, you know, I passed out in the middle of a field, long story made short, and when um, the passing out in the middle of the field, when I actually passed out, when I came to, and it was the middle of the night, and I look up and I see the stars over my head, there's just this incredible overwhelming peace and this knowledge of I've got you no matter what happens Mm -hmm. I've got you be still and know that I am God I don't know how to explain the shift or the change but from that point on, I never felt alone again. Wow. So people are like, you know, how'd you come to Christ and all that type of stuff? It's, it's, <laughs> you know, I always, always hear these traditional stories and mm-hmm. I'm like, it, I don't know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. It was just from that point on, I, I was never alone again. And no, that doesn't mean that I was perfectly following him or anything yeah. else. That, that took a lot. <laughs> Still yeah. not perfectly following by uh-huh. any means. But, you know, it, it was just that, that piece of mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff you can't see, and it's okay. But I love you, I've got you, and you'll never be alone. Wow. From that point on, you know, step by step, mm-hmm. start striving forward, start striving forward, start yeah. striving forward um, until, you know, wow. 
doing and doing things very non-traditional. <coughs> so that's just you. Well, after my <laughs> junior year of high school, most people don't realize this. I was a high school dropout. <laughs> but you just said you. you I went. was a high school dropout. Uh huh. After my junior year of high school, I decided that high school was, you know, and, and for all the parents that are trying to tell their kids to finish high school, you know, you may not want to let them hear this right. interview. Um, after my junior year of high school, I said, this is a joke. It's a waste of my time. I got to earn money to go to college. So I started working two full-time jobs. So I opened McDonald's in the morning, mm-hmm. and I closed the bowling alley at night. Wow. So I was pulling 80 hours a week between opening McDonald's yeah. at 5 o'clock in the morning. Wow. And then closing the bowling alley at 10 o'clock at night. you had to get a GED because you dropped out? Mm-mm. How'd you get in, in college then? What I did was, um, uh, you know, we didn't have computers at that point and things mm. like that. So you could take correspondence courses. And I only needed two business credits to finish. And oh. I'd like, you know, spending an entire senior year at high school seemed like just a waste of time. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I did a typing class in the summer, and I took a business accounting class. You know, they, they mail you the book. Yeah, you'd fill out all the mm-hmm. stupid worksheets. You send the thing back, and you're done. And Seriously? that's how I got my high school diploma. And so I finished high school early, hmm. worked two full-time jobs, uh, decided that I wanted to get to college. So I, I went and signed up for the SAT, didn't study for it, but just went and, you know, sat for it. Um, and uh, truly gift of God, um, applied for Washington State University, got accepted, and, and walked into, so I started my courses at Washington State University, and uh, quickly took a look at the, you know, the freshman level classes with mm-hmm. like you know, 200 to 300 people in yeah. the classroom and said, ah, this is, no, uh-uh, not doing this, uh-uh, not doing this. So walked into the honors program at Washington State University, met with Dr. Bhatia, who was in charge of the honors program, and petitioned my way into the honors program. Of course you did. With not great grades out of my junior year of high school, not doing my senior year at all. Dr. Batia, that I was the perfect candidate for the honors program, which put me into a class where there was taught by the professor and the highest, no more than 15 in a class. Wow. And, um, wow. Never looked back from there. And then from there, picked Mm -hmm. up, uh, ran out of money, joined the army. That was my next question. How did you end up in the army? Ran out of the money, Mm -hmm. joined the army as a reservist, enlisted, doing medical records, medical technician stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, did that summer, did the Outward Bound School program that I told you about. Um, Ended up with medical pack the whole time. And... uh, Came out of that Mm -hmm. and then uh, got offered what I call the booby prize from the Army, which was I applied for a full-ride ROTC scholarship and uh, couldn't figure out why at the time. Figured out why later. But at the time, had, you know, the best ASVAB score 
had the highest PT score, okay. you know, maxed out the PT test. Wow. And uh, had the best grades, but didn't get the full-ride ROTC scholarship that was open. Instead, I got offered the full-ride ROTC scholarship to be a nurse. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, I've, I, come on, I got the grades, I got the... Uh, you know, what? Right. I, seriously, why are you giving it to her? Didn't understand why at the time. Found out a couple of years later why. Uh-huh. Um, now knowing it was fully God's plan and super, super just yeah. gratefully humbled for that. So looking at the fact that I either wasn't going to be able to continue to college mm-hmm. or I was going to have a ton of debt and I didn't want to have a ton of debt. Yeah. Um, I went ahead and took the ROTC nursing scholarship. Wow. And that's where you eventually got to meet Glenn. That's eventually how I ended up. Well, mm-hmm. well, I eventually ended up meeting Glenn when I was uh, a student at uh, the Intercollegiate Nursing Education yeah. up in Spokane, Washington. Mm-hmm. And he was a uh, a part of the military science department down at Washington State University. So at that point, I'm at a different school. Okay. I'm doing strictly the nursing program. I'm mm-hmm. in my final year of schooling Yeah. Um, when we met. Okay. And for those who don't know uh, the story, I did interview a husband, and I'll put the link to that interview in the comment section so you guys can go and check that out because <clears throat> it's a very amazing story and the confusion in the military ranks of how <laughs> he... It was, you just have to go check it out. It was it was funny, but so you meet Glenn, you get married. And well, there's there's a little piece there that, okay. that goes straight back to the history. Mm-hmm. Um, I was 22 years old. Yes, I'm in my senior year, mm-hmm. and you know I've got all these plans in my head of, yeah, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be. Army nurse corps nurse, and, and uh, you know, after I do my four years in the Army, I'm going to go join the Peace Corps, and, you know, I'm going to go off to, you know, <laughs> Africa, wherever, and I'm going to do all this stuff, right? Right. And, and uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. None of that happened. <laughs> I can attest to it. <laughs> None of that happened. Um, so what happened was um, I met Glenn, mm-hmm. and... Uh, he was divorced. He had two beautiful girls who were, I believe, Melissa and Crystal were 11 and 9 at the time. And um, he was really struggling as, as a father who very much loved his daughters because the girls were, girls were struggling with what it is, you know, what it is to be the daughters of a, of a divorced family. Look at my history. Yes. So I'm sharing with Glenn, you know, it doesn't matter how much you're there. They're not going to get beyond that, that feeling of abandonment. It's just, it's a part of the divorce process. And so just really talking with him, you know, as, as the, someone who'd gone through being the child of divorced parents mm-hmm. and sharing with him the perspectives and just sharing with him, you know, just be there. You know, years from now, they're going to look back and it's going to be okay. But right now, you, you just mm-hmm. have to suck it up, yeah. you know, just, and, and just walk through it. Yeah. And in that process, uh, there was a whole lot of stuff that happened. But suffice to say, um, God orchestrated it. It was not anything that, that I had planned or was looking for or anything else. 
but in a very, very rapid period of time, there was a series of events that took place um, that led to Glenn and I getting married. Mm-hmm. A very rapid series of events. Wow. Okay. Um, that were rather dramatic. And looking back on it now, 30 years later, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that was you, God, because there's no way I would have ever orchestrated or thought about <laughs> right. or been willing to do that. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was totally a God thing. Mm-hmm. But the way it all went down... Um, when I look at the core factors of it, the bottom line is Glenn and I are both very, very dedicated to when someone counts on us and we give them our word, that's it. It's done. And Glenn went out on a limb for me. And as a result of going out on a limb for me to help me with the situation that I was dealing with with my family, it put his entire family in jeopardy. And in, in my mind, there was no way that that was ever going to be an acceptable thing to happen. And, and uh, we were probably a very much what, what Steve Holt would call blood-stained allies. He had my back, I had his, we were in the same foxhole, and there was no way, nothing, that would ever stop that. Um, wow. Or, or would, nothing was ever going to be allowed to come in, into, in between that. Mm-hmm. He trusted me, and I trusted him. And right there, that is what I believe, um, obviously, with the grace of the Lord and the blessing of the Lord and the fact that Jesus is firmly in the middle of it, has, has led to now 30 years of marriage. Wow. That's amazing. And two kids. And two kids. One of them helps me <laughs> doing this. Yeah. I, I, you know, they're adults now. <laughs> I know. Yes. <laughs> they're both well, adults now. I'm like, whoa. I guess she's 18. Yeah. 21 and 18 now. Okay. Wow. So that kind of kicked all that off. Mm-hmm. At one point, we were in, um, we were dealing with legal actions. Yeah in multiple states, mm-hmm. dealing with Department of Defense, mm-hmm. um, all for the fact that, that this man did what was right by his daughters. And there, there was just no way that I was ever going to wow. allow him to take the fall for doing the right thing. And so that's where that relationship was born out of. It definitely was not your traditional right. fall in love, you know. No, it wasn't any of that. But you're not traditional, though. Yeah, <laughs> no, we're not. But, but, you know, looking at it, it was truly God's doing because it's, it, it was what gave us the tenacity and the commitment that allowed us to continue to stand, to stand for the Lord, to stand for each other, and, and just knowing no matter what, tomorrow was always going to be better. Tomorrow's going to be better. We just got to get through this. Tomorrow's going to be better. And, and now looking at, you know, coming all the way through that, um, it was quite a battle. But, uh, you know, you go through seasons. Right. And so we went through a season... <clears throat> right after we got mad- married, of intense, intense battling. Yeah. I mean, full confession, there was times where I'd be in one corner of the bedroom crying and he'd be sitting in the other corner of the bedroom crying. I, it was hard. It yeah. was really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, 
you know, every single one of those battles, we won. And at the end of all the battles, when the, he had the opportunity and they said, you know, hey, now we're going to move you to Heidelberg, Germany, Glenn came to me and he goes, well, what do you think? And I said, let's go. And um, at that point, it stepped into a whole different relationship. We literally had the most beautiful, what I call, eight-year-long honeymoon <laughs> in Europe. Yeah. And, and then it just, you know, God just massively multiplied. He gave me opportunities and jobs and, and experiences that would never have occurred yeah. any other way. Just totally his blessing. Because he said that you were running in charge of the VA. I started off as the head nurse of pediatric services, okay. which was, was kind of funny because up until that point, everything I had done was high-risk labor and delivery team, neonatal intensive care, labor and delivery. And I'm like, kids with chicken pox? I don't do kids with chicken pox. And they're like, no, you're going to be head nurse of pediatrics. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I got put in charge of head nurse of pediatrics. And then um, as a part of that, I also ended up taking over the nine outlying clinics to Heidelberg Hospital, at which point, you know, here I am. Gosh, how old was I at the time? I was uh, 27 years old, head nurse of pediatrics and nine outlying clinics. That's a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But again, God knew what he was doing. I had a husband who at this point is a major who had been prior service enlisted, who had years of experience in management and leadership, who didn't tell me what to do, but was always very open to my asking questions and mentored, mentored. He was my husband, but he also mentored in, in all of those management and those leadership things and things like that. And so we encountered numerous scenarios and cases, and, and I think we really hit our uh, an early case of, um, well, some of what we're seeing right now with with what we're dealing with CRT. Yeah. Yeah, the military hit the stuff early hmm. on. There was an individual who, bless her, uh, wasn't doing her job. And uh, I had to go through the steps of doing all the things that you have to do when someone's not doing their job. And that's yeah. something you don't want to do, but yeah. you, you kind of have to because, you know, you can't, afford to, yeah. you can't afford to have children possibly get injured or die or whatever because someone's not doing their job. Well, in a nutshell, uh, she complained that I was prejudiced against her um, because of her ethnic background. Yeah, that was a new experience for me. I had never wow. experienced that before. And what was wild is when they came in, they did the investigation. And again, this is total glory to God. They realized that the people that I was recommending for promotion and things like that were that same ethnic minority, huh. at which point it kind of blew the entire right. theory out of the water, right? Yeah. So God was already protecting me mm -hmm. by what he was doing in other places in my in my workplace at that point mm -hmm. and so the whole thing just got tossed out wow so started off in pediatrics then got the opportunity to do the army health promotion program in europe mm -hmm. so i was doing you know 
had the opportunity to uh, write the suicide prevention program, do the Army Pregnancy PT program, um, was doing all of those types of things in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, an opportunity came along where I got tagged by the, uh, the command to do a special project called the Army Wellbeing Project. Okay. This is a new project that didn't exist anywhere, and they wanted to float it in Europe and see what would happen. So they're doing these different test sites. Yeah. Well, our test site took off, and uh, Europe did extremely well, and so did that test project there. And this is coming on the time that uh, Glenn picked up on some of the things that were coming in the future that he could see. And, mm -hmm. and it's really kind of crazy because he wrote white papers about them at the time for the military. He saw what was going to happen in Europe with a mass immigration movement moving into Europe. And he saw what was going to happen with the mass immigration movement of what is coming from the South into the United States. He wrote white papers about both those situations. Wow. He wrote those papers in early 2000 time frame while we were still living in Europe. And literally, he, he said, you know, we've got to go back. It's time. Military's going to be downsizing here. There's stuff coming. We need to get feet on the ground, get established back in the United States. And, and he actually saw mm. what was coming and what yeah. we're living through right now. Wow. He actually saw back then, and truly gift mm. of the Lord, yeah. right? And so we came back to the United States. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to be stay-at-home mom. My daughter had just been born. Yeah. She was less than six weeks old when we moved back from Europe. <laughs> yeah. My my son was uh, not quite three years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, wow. we moved back. Well, mm. guess what happened when we moved back? We we had quite the warm welcome into the United <laughs> States. We, we moved back and... Uh, I remember walking down, you're going to love this, I, I remember walking down a grocery store aisle. Uh -huh. Now, mind you, I've lived in Europe for eight years. Mm -hmm. The change in the United States from the time I left to when I came back, it was an entirely different country. Wow. I'm walking down the grocery store aisle looking at all the cereal boxes, and I start, <laughs> where's the food? <laughs> Because all I've seen is these colored boxes right. with different labels on them <laughs> full of genetically modified garbage. And, and I'm, I'm used to, like, going to the Metzgerai, right. going to the little shops, doing all my shopping like a little European, you know? And here I am in America, mm -hmm. and I'm like, what happened to the food? And it was my wake-up call mm -hmm. to what was happening to our food supply. Yes. And then that's when we started growing our own food. We started mm -hmm. getting into the whole farming thing and started yeah. moving forward. And it was very successful. If you look at the interview, once again, Glenn talks about it. But the part about that I want to talk about, this is towards the end. You decide to leave that behind. He's kind of put it, wrapping up over there. And I believe you guys are here. The fire story is what I'm trying to that because I've heard his side yeah uh well for two and a half years 
Glenn stayed on the farm and ran the farm mm -hmm. while I was trying to figure out how to get the family healthy, how to get the kids and I healthy. Mm -hmm. And um, boy, talk about a time in the desert. This is this is uh, that time frame that um, I'm doing everything based upon all my knowledge and intellect and everything else to, to figure out how we're going to heal mm -hmm. and God just really busted me down and said basically you got to lay down all the knowledge and I'll never forget you know David's down with semi-hemiplegic migraine headache you know pretty much paralyzed down one side of his body every time he went down with one of those headaches and that would happen three to five days a week 10 to 12 hours a time. Caitlin is, bless her heart, you know, she's acting, she can't even do basic math. She's lost her fine motor skills. She can't write um, because she has so much inflammation in her brain, and so she can't think straight and is really kind of just like, you know, checked out most of the time. And... I'm having massive headaches and just reactivity. You know, it would be called multiple uh, mast cell activation syndrome. You know, it feels like MCAS type stuff going on. Um, we were diagnosed with something called chronic inflammatory response syndrome, and it was a secondary to what they would call an environmental toxin exposure from mold. And I, I, I'll never forget being on the floor, just crying in pain and the kids being in pain and, and just feeling like there's no way out of this. And still though, feeling and knowing that the Lord was there and that we weren't alone and just crying and, and over and over saying, for you did not give me a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind power love, sound mind. What does that mean? What, what does that feel like? And realizing and just visualizing just light starting to move through my body cell by cell. His power, his love, his sound mind cell by cell by cell by cell going through each system in the body and just feeling the weight start to lift off and, and just literally going through this visualization process of anything that wasn't his power, his love, his sound mind being just the light shining on it destroying it and it disappearing it was the start of a change at that point in time and there was a shift and the shift was from fear to faith Tony Evans says it best faith is acting like it is so that it might be so when it doesn't seem so just because he said so Amen. that shift was the start of what would continue on and I started seeing David and Caitlin starting to heal and things like that still had a lot of rough road to cover yeah um, 
but finally got to the point of where we tried to go back to the farm May of 2016. We were there for less than a month. The kids started to get super sick again. So we were on our way down to Arizona to see one of the top um, specialists in the country. And we made it as far as Colorado. Stopped overnight. <laughs> never left. Yeah. <laughs> um, ended up picking up a little uh, 20-foot, you know, yeah. summer season trailer. Wasn't yeah. even insulated from winter. <laughs> and uh, living in that and dry dock camping. Mm-hmm. Ended up you know, parking in some of the weirdest places and dry dock camping, hmm. trying to take care of the kids, but the kids are doing better. We're starting to get involved with the homeschool community here, and and they're finally starting to get, a, a, you know, a sense of, of, of community around them. They're actually starting to, like, kind of make friends, mm-hmm. right, which hadn't happened in years. I mean, they were very, very isolated this whole time because they were sick. Think about it. You're traveling over the country. There's no friends. Yeah. There's no normal teenage life. There's mm-hmm. no proms. There's no... Football games. There's nothing that mm-hmm. looks like a normal, you know, what what we consider a more a normal American teenage life. None of that's happening. Mm-hmm. They're just extremely isolated and sick. Yeah. Okay. Fast forward till now. What are all of our teenagers going through now? They're going through the situation that's occurred yeah. with with the whole pandemic virus issue mm-hmm. that has done the same thing to them. Well, my kids already went through all that. Yeah. And to be blunt. My kids consider the pandemic virus thing not really a big deal because of what they'd already gone through, Mm -hmm. which then put them in a position where they were able to speak into the lives of the other kids around them and and to love on them Mm -hmm. and and to give them hope because they'd already walked that path. Mm -hmm. So the trailer was working out really well until October – at which point, snowstorm hits, and you know what our snowstorms can be like. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> Ten hours underneath the trailer, and David's out there part of the time too, as I'm heat wrapping, heat taping all the pipes under the trailer to try to keep the trailer from freezing. As I'm camping at the Air Force Academy campground. <laughs> Ten hours later, my fingers are like this, you know. Mm-hmm. But but the trailer's intact. It's doing good. Yeah. I'm in pain because I've been laying on my back all this time, heat taping all these pipes. And I call my husband up, and I'm like, uh, honey, I think i got to get a house. This is not going to work. And I'm definitely going to make it through the winter this way. Or either that or i I, I got to go down to Arizona because uh-huh. we're not going to make it. And, and he said, go ahead and get a house. So we got a house. Um, found a house miraculously, Lord's sense of humor. Um, brand new house. It was the model, and uh, the name of the model was called the Shelter. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember when when I said, "Well, what's the name of this model?" And I was there with a a, a, a new friend mm-hmm. and and who was an awesome follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. And and the uh, the person said, "Oh, the name of this model is called the Shelter." And my friend just bursts out <laughs> laughing. She goes, "That settles it. This is your house," because <laughs> you because know, she knew our story. <laughs> yes. And um, we got the house, and mm-hmm. and literally, I just. 
praised the Lord and said, Lord, this is your house yeah. to be used for your ministry, to your purpose, to your glory. Mm-hmm. Whatever you want to do with it, God, it's yours. Yeah. Because so many people had given us shelter mm-hmm. along the way. Well, March 2019 comes along. We purchased the house in, in, in November of 2017. Okay. You know, we move in with three cots and six bins, plastic bins. That's it. And that's the way we lived for a while because we're still environmentally sensitive. We're still trying to find our way, still trying to heal, mm-hmm. things like that, right? You yeah. know, so, you know, we have these little crazy routines of when you come through the door, all your out clothes that you've worn out and about get thrown into the washer and, and you change your clothes and then you can live life inside the house because we're still pretty sensitive at this point to, mm-hmm. to mold spores, mycotoxins, things like yeah. that. Which is silly, because that was still just the breaking off of fear and the healing of the immune system. Yeah. Um, but fast forward into March 2019, there's this family who's experienced the same illnesses that we had experienced, and they're a military family. And um, what we did is we said, you know, come stay with us, because I know what it's like to deal with this illness. And, and I'm thinking thank you. I finally get to say thank you and pay back, you know, not pay back, but, you know, just help out someone else. And uh, this person gets to feeling better and her children get to doing a little bit better. She has two little kids, sweetest little kids. So David and Caitlin and I go off to Washington State to spend some time with Dr. Brock because we're still working on their healing. And uh, the last thing I said before I left out the door is here's the fire extinguisher. You're not going to need it, but here's the fire extinguisher. It's right here in the pantry. Next day I get a call. My house is on fire. <laughs> wow. By the way, mm. fire extinguisher was in exactly the same spot. <laughs> didn't even it move. didn't even move. <laughs> <laughs> it survived the fire beautifully. Wow. So took out... The, the main level of the house, mm-hmm. um, bless her heart, she had um, inadvertently um, set up a series of conditions that started the fire and uh, felt really bad about it. You know, bless her, she felt really bad about it. But mm-hmm. I was up at Dr. Brock's when I got the call, so just immediately moved into trying to take care of the entire situation with the fire because the most important thing is call USA and get the insurance going yes. so you can get everything else moving to try and take care of it. We had a snowstorm coming in that night here in Colorado. I'm doing all these calls from Washington State. I asked my neighbor. I'm like, okay. I had an awesome neighbor, mm-hmm. most awesome neighbor in the world, yeah. awesome followers of Christ. <laughs> and I said, okay, so the gas is off, the electric is off, because the fire department cut both of those. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, did the fire department shut off the water? I got a snowstorm coming in. Mm. It's March. Yes. We're in freezing weather. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fire department didn't shut off the water. But I had the most awesome neighbor who went back into my house. It's a train wreck at this point. Mm-hmm. Shut off the main water supply, opened all the pipes, and did not have a single pipe burst as a result of that. Wow. Just awesome people. Wow. So fast forward, mm-hmm. don't have a house. Mm-hmm. My husband's driving down thinking, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have a house. The dogs are over at the neighbor's house. Mm-hmm. I'm with the kids, and I'm looking around going, we were finally just coming together as a family. Mm-hmm. Glenn and I had not lived together for two and a half years at this point. Wow. I'd gotten to see him for maybe a week, mm-hmm. week and a half, out of about every three to four months. Wow. 
And so at that point, I'm like, wow. no, no, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. this is, uh-uh. Enemy, you have overplayed your hand. You're done now. This stops now, right here. No more. You can't have my family. You can't have my home. And by golly, you cannot have my marriage. Amen. And and Dr. Brock and his wife and I we just started worshiping right there on the spot. I mean, we're we're singing, we're praising, we're we're calling it out. I mean, I probably look like a crazy woman. And we just started calling out promise after promise after promise after promise. Here's the crazy part. That moment was the final shift of where things completely changed. 2 weeks later, realtor bless her heart backs out of her driveway totals my car looks like another disaster right Mm -hmm. except for the fact that i paid five thousand dollars for the car the insurance company a year earlier the uh the battery was starting to have some issues on it i'm like lord you're gonna have to change this battery because i don't have the money to fix this battery because it was it was a prius yeah um yeah no the car gets totaled and i get six thousand dollars for the car amen right Mm -hmm. my house gets fixed God set up a series of circumstances that that the individual who fixed my house only charged me for the parts, didn't charge me for any of his labor. Wow. Gave that money back to us and said, you guys have done, you've been through so much, just go forward. During that same time, we didn't think we'd be able to move back into the house because, after all, I had kids who were environmentally sensitive, all that type of stuff. Um, We went out, and all of a sudden one day, this is crazy because I wasn't looking for this, this lot price on this lot out in Black Forest drops by 50%. We go out, see the lot, buy it. I wasn't looking for it. It just popped up on my computer. Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, let's go take a look. And so we put the money down on that lot. thinking we're going to move on to that build something on it right mm-hmm. nine months goes by we don't get you know i just can't get clarity on what to build on this lot and then this builder builds this gorgeous house behind us and the only thing that that lot that house is going to see when we build our house is the back door of our house is we've got the full gorgeous pikes peak mountain view yeah right and so the the builder gets an offer on the house but it's contingent on maintaining the view corridor at which point it was uh, he wanted to buy the lot from us. And so he offered us a little bit more money for the lot, at which point I said, mm, let's do the comps on the lot. Whatever the realtors say, we'll get multiple realtors. Whatever those comps are, that's the price you pay us. Turned out the lot had increased dramatically in price. And he paid that price for the lot, which then allowed me to completely pay off the house. Wow. And that's the house we're living in now. Wow. God mm-hmm. just did this. I mean, he just massively increased, increased, increased. Wow. And <clears throat> that then led to um, all that happens. We're mm-hmm. just come out of that. And then the entire yeah. um, pandemic situation hits. Yeah. And God has completely used that to just take you guys to another 
yeah level of blessing yeah well um the at the beginning of it it was just research 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 i mean we're talking i'm just piling into the research diving deep mm-hmm. glenn's deep in it from his perspective and his background of of having done defense threat reduction agency you know the bioterrorism and all that type of stuff so he's looking at his perspective i'm looking at it from my perspective you know we're just deep diving into it and then in august of 2020 um, i wrote the draft of the viral prevention early intervention plan um, then a uh, academy of comprehensive integrative medicine uh, published that we um, invited three other phenomenal physicians mm-hmm. to participate on that um, they co-authored it with me that got published in august of 2020 um, shortly after that i start i get connected through ywam to missionaries who are working in india and we start treating cases in india hmm. so i started volunteering and working with them and just we're just talking through managing through coming up with very creative ways to deal with this because there's not a lot of resources in a lot of those locations yeah. and we're seeing phenomenal results and uh, also working with missionaries around our local community here and things like that uh, and then come forward into may of 2021 we had the unveiled worship conference mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden there's this pocket of issues that yes. we encounter here i know and uh i still don't know i I don't understand how this happened but but somehow i I got a call from pastor holt saying you know what can we do Mm -hmm. and um just rapidly started helping people with with the resources and support that they needed Mm -hmm. that then turned into health recovery ministry Mm -hmm. dot org and uh, one thing led to another, and next thing you know, we're doing the Radical Resilience Conference and RadicalResilience.Health, and um, sat down the other day and figured it out. We have now reached over 7,000 people from Alaska and Hawaii all the way to Maine and Florida wow. across the country. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Wow, that's amazing. Blessed beyond blessed mm-hmm. beyond blessed to, to be walking yeah. alongside people. So what is, because you kind of rushed through that part, what is radical resilience? It's the ability that whatever comes your way, mm-hmm. you, ca- you call it all joy. Radical resilience is what Paul did after his third shipwreck. It's when the snake bit him on the hand and he just does this into the fire. That is radical resilience. And I think that's what the Lord's calling all of us to. I think he's calling us all into that position of counting it all joy. We know where we're going. We know what our destination is. We know where this roller coaster ride ends. So we can choose to go through it saying, yes! Or we can go through it going, ah! All about you. Mm-hmm. I want to go through it saying, 
Yes. Mm -hmm. Every single step of the way. Yeah. Because we know where we're going to end up. So I think the last thing I ever want to do is get to the end of the ride, mm -hmm. look back and say, I missed the chance to, mm -hmm. to take that little extra bet, right? Yeah. yeah. To pull that little extra adventure out of it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's all in our approach. If we can just simply take a moment, be still, Ask the Lord, what are you doing? What are you up to? Show me your viewpoint on this. Come on, God. I, you know, it, there's the story of the, the little kid. There's these two children, right? One opens the door and, and sees this beautiful pony with a big red bow on it for Christmas. And, and the kid goes, wrong color of pony. I'm not happy. The other kid opens the door and sees a pile of horse manure in there, grabs a shovel, starts shoveling, going, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. Right? Yeah. You know, Lord, <laughs> you've got a pony in every situation. Mm -hmm. Show me where it's at. Yeah. Show me your viewpoint. Mm -hmm. I know it's around here somewhere. I just can't see it at the moment. And yeah. that's okay. I trust you. I mm -hmm. know you. Mm -hmm. I know the plans you've made. Mm -hmm. Right? Amen. So with that, just give me your heart, your vision, your mm -hmm. eyes, your 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 hands and feet, Lord, that yeah. I can just walk through it. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So, because the past, what, since May of 20, what, 2020 is when you kind of started? Mm hmm And you've treated 7,000, you had a successful... Well, the 7,000 is from May of 2021. Oh, 2021, okay. Yeah, so it's been seven months. S yeah, seven months. And 7,000 a month had a successful conference, yep. and just to pull off that conference, the technology, <laughs> me and her son and my friend Kyle had to go through. You guys did a phenomenal <laughs> job. You really did. It was a lot. It was the first time you'd probably done anything like that too, that right? That was the first time we did that. It was a lot. But now you know it can be done. Yes. And it actually isn't that hard. No, no. Well, at the time it was, but now <laughs> it was. <laughs> but, but you did it. Yes, we did. And it was, I mean, just talking to the people, they were very excited and very happy about the conference. And the information, and I don't know whether that conference is still out. It is. It's, it is? it's accessible to people. If, if they become, because of everything that's going on, um, in order to avoid any of the issues that we're seeing right now with, mm -hmm. like, uh, hmm, certain things you can't say on YouTube and all that sort of stuff, right? Yes. Um, healthrecoveryministry.org is a private membership association. Okay. okay. So there's a front door where you can see all the stuff that's out there just available to everyone. Mm -hmm. And then once people become a member, which is 25 bucks a year, mm -hmm. basically it's just keeping the lights on, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, and paying for the website and stuff like that. There's all this information mm -hmm. in the membership area. Mm -hmm. And, and there's, a, there's a private membership store um, for certain things that people are looking for and needing. Um, there's a lot of information there and everything else. Anyone who's a member of the health recovery ministry can get access to the conference. Mm, okay. Okay, there's a special code, mm -hmm. and then all those videos, mm -hmm. all that, those slides, all that information is there. So yeah. they can go in there and, and get that. Okay. And then the next piece, because now we're getting into, all right, what's next? I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like, all right, I'm, I'm getting the stand up a clinic, do this, do that. I'm like, oh, Lord, you know, which one do you want me to do first? And mm -hmm. he's like, all of them. Like, what? <laughs> no. 
And, and he's like, don't worry, I'm sending you the team. And mm-hmm. he is. He's mm-hmm. bringing all of us together as volunteers to mm-hmm. be able to do amazing things. So the next step will be um, we'll be starting an eight to ten week class starting okay. on January twenty third mm-hmm. at the Road Church at Chapel Hills, and and that will be the Empower You. Yes. And what we're going to be doing there is we are going to teach radical resilience by restoring the temple. Radical resilience by restoring the temple. Care to go further to explain that a little bit? I don't want to give away all the secrets. Come to the class. Come to the class. <laughs> but in in a nutshell, what we're going to do is we're going to address the physical as well as the spiritual, how they interact, and how we get to that position of radical, resilient health. Health not just being physical. And, and you know... It really comes down and goes all the way back to that piece that we talked about early on about that solitude and that silence and and that coming into alignment with the Lord and being able to hear him speak to us in, in what we are to do for our bodies and what we are to do to come into alignment with him. As a man thinketh, so shall he be. Hold every thought captive. There is a physical discipline that goes into holding that thought captive. And and if we give the body the tools that it needs, it makes that process so much easier. And and uh, I'm learning with you guys, by the way. <laughs> totally learning with you. Uh-huh. So it's it's a journey that we're all walking through and, and praying through together. But if we're going to achieve Steve Holt's vision of El Paso County being the healthiest county in America, mm-hmm. it starts with building that radical resilience. That's that's the key right there. So I'm pretty excited about it. Wow. Looking I forward to it. And uh, I'll tell you what I love the most is you know, people think I'm teaching them. That's not true. Yeah. They're teaching me. They're teaching me. Mm. The questions they ask, mm-hmm. the 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 way they come to the table. Yeah. Blows <laughs> me away. I, I'm learning from them all the time. Yeah. That's awesome. This has been a good interview. Thank you. Thank you for actually coming on because I feel like I'm, at some point as you get your ministry gets big. People for, don't know your heartbeat. They just know she's the protocol lady. If you're sick, call the protocol lady. She'll take care of you. And I feel like they'll really get to know what makes you tick. Well, it really comes back to this. It comes back to that moment where... For I did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Mm-hmm. And And... My just crying out to the Lord and saying, "Lord, show me how to heal my family." And Lord, if you you know if you show me this, I will do everything I can from this point forward to do the same for others. And He was gracious enough to do that for me. And and now, you know, it's fun. It's it's a it's it's pure joy 
to be able to come alongside others and, and help them do the same. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, what is it really? It all comes down to, for I did not give you a spirit of fear, mm-hmm. but of power, of love, and a sound mind. And right now, especially from the time of, of the beginning of the pandemic until now, I think what the Lord is really doing is absolutely a blessing because he's moving us. He's, you know, everything's being revealed, right? Yeah. The, the, the light is just shining in and mm-hmm. boy, is it just revealing what is not of the Lord, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And that's yes. a blessing because if you know that that's happening, mm-hmm. you could take the steps then to move in the right direction. It's mm-hmm. breaking off the lies. It's breaking off all the stuff. It's sweeping all the closets out and mm-hmm. it's setting everything in alignment. Yeah. If we operate out of a position of power, love, and sound mind, yeah. we're free. Yes, we are. That's true. That's the definition of freedom. Mm-hmm. Amen. You can do anything to this body. Mm-hmm. You can't take my freedom. True. Because it belongs to him. Yeah. That's really good. And that's how you finish an interview. <laughs> that was very good. So remember, everybody, this is Pamela Holloway's story. <laughs> and we all have a story. What's your story? Goodbye. <laughs>